the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Tonight, we have an interesting show for you, as uh, always, I hope. Uh, And also this Sunday, the last Sunday of winter before springtime comes rolling in next week. Um, In our second half of the show tonight, we're going to be talking with a doctor from the Cleveland Clinic who's been specializing in uh, a very serious form of cancer, pancreatic cancer. We heard about that this week with uh, Alex Trebek last week. And we're going to talk about it uh, tonight with Dr. Matthew Walsh, uh, who's been working uh, in research and also operating on pancreatic cancer patients for the last 20 years. So that will be at 8.30. At, uh, right now, we have the next two segments. We're going to be talking to a good friend of ours, state legislator Dave Greenspan, who's going to update us on what's going on down in Columbus with uh, legislation and our money. Uh, Dave Greenspan, thank you for joining us. Nick, I appreciate being on, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, right. For all those out there listening, if you're in your car, uh, and you've had too much to drink, pull over and uh, get someone to pick you up or take an Uber home. But uh, we don't want anyone to be hurt out there. But uh, St. Patrick's Day, otherwise, a great day. Thank you for uh, for reminding us of that, Dave. Uh, sure, Columbus, thank you. Columbus, Ohio, what's going on in Columbus since we talked last? Well, as as is customary, the first year of a new General Assembly, which we're in right now, uh, is is effectively budget. The first six months is focused on various budgets. And so right now we are working on uh, the transportation budget, which the governor uh, presented to to us a few weeks ago, meaning in the House. So the process is that the governor prepares a budget, a transportation budget, uh, submits it to the House. The House has its first review of the budget, makes its amendments and recommendations, passes it, sends it over to the Senate. The Senate does the same now with a version of the budget that is the governor's originally submitted budget or as we say, the as-introduced budget, that with they review it with that budget with the House amendments. They'll turn around and make um, amendments to that document. They will then pass it out. We will get it back. More than likely, we, we will not accept their budget, and it will go into a conference committee, at which time the, uh, the, the president of the Senate and a small delegation and the Speaker of the House and a small delegation will sit in a room and, and hammer out the differences between the two versions of the budget. And then uh, we will adopt that budget and send it over to the governor for his uh, his approval. So the governor gave us a budget a few weeks ago, as, as I'm sure your listeners heard, uh, which proposed an, uh, an $0.18 cent, uh, per gallon, both gasoline yes. and diesel. That I increase, recall. Yes, increase in taxes, as well as sort of fuel usage fee as well as a few other uh, policy items. Uh, the House then, um, we did our due diligence, and I actually chair the Finance Subcommittee on Transportation, which traditionally this bill goes through that committee. However, because we received the bill um, late, and, I, and I, say, I don't mean that with any disrespect, in the, in the first year of a new administration, which is where we are now, we don't expect to get the budget as we traditionally would in, in other first years of a of a General Assembly, which is typically around the last week in January, because it's due administration, they typically get it to us mid-February. Uh, and that's what happened um, in this case. Um, we got it later than, than usual, but not uncustomary. And so the belief was is that we would keep the bill from a process standpoint in the full finance committee. So my subcommittee that I chair... Uh, has five members in it, uh, two two Republicans, two Democrats, and myself. And then um, we effectively report out to the full finance committee, which are 33 members. And they are split effectively proportionally to the number of Republicans and Democrats in the legislature. Is there a, so deadline, right now, is there a deadline for when the uh, transportation budget has to be approved by the uh, legislature? 
there is not by the legislature, but by the governor. The governor, the governor should sign it the, by March 31st. And the reason that that is the case is this is a budget that we cannot put an emergency clause on. So it takes 90 days from when the governor signs it for it to become effective. So the governor should sign it. There was a period of time, uh, and and it might have been the Strickland administration where, or maybe it was Taft where they didn't sign the budget until the first week in April. What happens there is, because it takes 60 days to become effective, the, the, um, the July 1st date is important because transportation projects are funded through that date. So if you're late in the March 31st date, you don't meet the, the June 30th date, then projects actually come to a halt on July 1st until that 90-day period passes. So we can pass it any time. The governor should sign it no later than March 31st. Mm. Obviously, we're on a time frame to get that done. Right. I mean, we're, we're, we're sitting here, you know, mid-March. The Senate um, has the bill, and we expect to get it hopefully in the next week to 10 days back from them. Then we'll go to conference committee, and uh, we should meet the March 31st deadline. I'm not, not concerned about that. Um, well, what's the we time? Did, I was going to ask, what's the talk about the 18 cents per gallon? Is that uh, are there alternatives well, or any s- stepping it into phase over a five-year period? Say, yes. So here's what we did. So, so the governor presented us with, with the 18 cents as as a one-time, uh, basically effective going going into place on July 1st, uh, all 18 cents at one time, both for gas and diesel. The House did its, you know, did a a due diligence um, review of the governor's proposal. And I did, did a few things different. Number one is that um, we, we analyzed ODOT's recommendation. They came up with the recommendation that they need a billion dollars a year. New money, in addition to the one point, um, 1.8 they currently receive from the 28 cents plus the roughly 1.2 billion they get from the federal government in order to maintain our roads and bridges. Now, th- to be clear, this, 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 18 cents the governor was proposing or whatever the gasoline user fee is can only be used for roads and bridges. That's by our constitution. So there are no other uses for this money. And I think we can all appreciate and we drive these our streets and understand our bridges enough to realize that um, for too long our roads and bridges have been neglected. And we're, we're no different than, than most other states. Michigan actually just introduced a 44 cent increase in their gasoline tax, not not taking it to 44 cents, but an increase of 44 cents. We are right now in Ohio, the second lowest in the region insofar as our gasoline tax at 28 cents. Um, however, other states do different things. So when, when you hear that number that we're the second lowest at 28 cents, Kentucky's lower than us. However, Kentucky charges a sales tax on top of their gasoline tax. And also, I believe that part of their of a property tax goes towards roads and bridges as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not really an, always an apples to apples uh, comparison. Well, I, I could see. So we, keep, I, I was yeah, just, I was gonna, uh, go ahead, Dave. Well, what I was going to say was, I, I think we can all realize, recognize that our roads and bridges need to be need need work. And the oh, question we sure. we, tra- we we tackled the house was, okay, what is an appropriate amount of money? The traditional appropriation of the gasoline tax is 60% for ODOT, 40% for locals. So if ODOT was asking for for a billion, and if you, if you recognize that one penny of gasoline tax generates $67 million, in order to keep respect that 60-40 ratio, the, the ask would have been $0.25 cents a gallon, not $0.18. Cents. So we, we kind of dug deep, and we looked at ODOT's numbers and um, we we're, we don't necessarily know and didn't feel comfortable in going with the full 18 cents based on ODOT's ask. And what the speaker had asked me to do, what Speaker Householder had asked me to do as chair of the Finance Committee, uh, Subcommittee on Transportation, is to conduct oversight hearings, which we will start here in April, with ODOT on a regular basis so that we can better understand the needs of, of ODOT. Very good. We're talking to Ohio State Legislative Representative Dave Greenspan. 
and uh, we're talking about uh, the budget that's being discussed down in Columbus right now and also specifically talking about a proposed 18 cent per gallon gas tax and we're, how that's faring in the legislature. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. The Advocate, don't go away. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips & Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips & Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle. You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 shades of green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Color Channel 14, Cleveland Radio, where your hearing swings, where your hearing swings. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate, and I just love that uh, old-time jingle from WHK back from the old days. We're talking tonight to Dave Greenspan, uh, legislative rep at the Ohio Legislature. David, thank you so much for joining us again. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. I know I haven't answered your question, so let me, yes. let me get to your question. Gas yes, tax. So the, the, yeah, the governor's proposed 18 cents. The House has amended that. The House has taken a blended approach to to this. It's a 10.7 cent consumer gasoline, gasoline tax and a 20 cent um, diesel tax. That brings the rate to a blended 14 cents. 
versus the governor's blended rate of 18 cents. Under the House proposal, we'll bring in about $870 million. Uh, the governor's proposal was, was just around $1.2 billion. Uh, we did not index, meaning we did not raise it to the rate of inflation every year because we wanted to first perform a certain level of oversight to ensure that, that the numbers we're asking for are, are truly needed numbers. And, um, and with that, you know, what we're talking about there is on the ODOT side in particular, um, they have debt service that's, that's starting to retire, so there'll be some extra cash flow coming off the retirement of debt service. And there will also be a number of employees. I think nearly 1,000 ODOT employees will be retiring this year alone. So we wanted to take a look and see what the impact was going to be, realizing they're going to be rehiring but not at the same rate, to see if there are additional savings or at least uh, ability to use those resources uh, for other purposes. We did index in the House. Uh, our, our number is... Um, phases in on the gasoline tax over two years, and in the on the diesel tax, it, it increases over three. Also, what we did, instead of having the tax uh, increase on July 1st, we pushed it back to October 1st. And you might be asking why that date. And the reason is, is because that is when the, the, the winter fuel, in Ohio, we have summer fuel and, and winter fuel. The winter fuel goes into effect around September 15th. So when that price and the winter fuel is less expensive than the summer fuel, when that price decreases, then the, the, the increase in this user fee will go in, and that way the net impact should not be um, as dramatically felt by the residents and users or purchases of gasoline as it would be uh, if we phased it in in July. So that's kind of the summary as to you know what we're looking for and how mm-hmm. we're looking to do it. Well, uh, I never realized before that, uh, I guess, the additives for summer raise the price of gas. Is that why the price They're, of gas goes up? Correct. You usually see an increase, and, in, you know, you always hear, oh, well, gas is going up. It must be summertime, the summer travel season. That's part of it. Obviously, supply and demand plays a role in, in, in consumer, you know, pricing, but also it's a different product. And so we have a a winter fuel here in Ohio, and that that's why we timed the increase the way we did. Well, it's an important topic. Uh, we just got back from Phoenix, Arizona, where we were able to drive for miles and miles without one chuck hole or uh, right. <laughs> road falling apart. We come back to Ohio. Of course, the northern climate and all the roads are in need of work. So uh, I'm glad you guys are tackling that. Uh, what else is happening down there in Columbus? Anything well, else we're looking yeah, at? Back, back on back on still focused on transportation budget. Not only do we focus on roads and bridges, but also on public transit. I know that that that's been been a discussion for a long time up here. And a few years ago, the federal government said that, that the state of Ohio and other states could no longer charge a tax on managed care uh, organizations. So, in the last budget, uh, Governor Kasich um, was not able to to secure funding in his budget for counties and transits, public transit authorities. There are 61 public transit authorities in the state of Ohio serving about 75 counties. And right here we have RTA. Well, the state appropriation for public transit was was cut to $33 million two years ago. Governor DeWine increased it to $40 million. Um, I was able to have an amendment added in the budget that took it to $70 million with a special caveat for the top five largest transit authorities in the state which RTA is one of them, would be able to split of that 70, $18.5 million based on their elderly, what's called E&D, elderly and disabled ridership. So all the counties would be receiving more money under under the current budget, but the top five largest transits as it relates to elderly and disabled will split um, $18.5 million. That was the proposal that came out. Um, it was actually increased from 70 to $100 million. That's what's sitting in the Senate right now, and I'm hoping that they are not going to to amend that uh, too dramatically, coming from an urban core community, realizing the importance of public transit. Hopefully that that amendment uh, will stick, but we will, we'll find out here in the next week or so as the Senate uh, reveals their budget. Yeah, just a, a side, uh, with the makeup of the state of Ohio, 88 counties, and most of Ohio right. is rural, you mentioned urban uh, districts. Uh, do you see where there's uh, much difficulty in, in getting urban issues uh, handled in the legislature because of the, the the Democratic votes that are out there? And I don't mean the party Democrat. I mean small small D Democrats. The fact that we're a Democratic yeah. government. 
Yeah, they're, they're, they're clearly, you know, obviously there, there are a number of different um, organizations or, or, or affiliations, associations, however you want to classify it. Obviously, you have Republicans and Democrats. You have within each caucus moderate and, and either progressive Democrats or moderate conservative Republicans, uh, which both parties, you know, manage those relationships. But then you also have the urban, suburban, rural um, right. challenges and struggles. And and so it, it is it is something that we, we deal with, you know, and, and the the rural folks obviously are are advocating for ag and, and natural resources, whereas here in the urban core areas, you know, we have different different opportunities and challenges to to work with. And, you know, the thing at the end of the day is, by and large, we're able to put whatever those differences are aside, recognize that we all have the same issues because we're all Ohioans and whether it's whether it's Lake Erie and, and the, the, the challenges with Lake Erie and, and the governor's making an emphasis there on Lake Erie and water quality and, and water quality throughout the state. So I'm encouraged by that, whether it's energy, whether it's wind or, or, or solar or natural gas or nuclear. I, I think all of us in the state recognize that we need to have a reliable, sustainable, predictable energy source, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's dealing with infant mortality, um, you know, lead paint is more of more of an urban issue, but it, it is it is relevant in suburban and rural Ohio as well. So almost every issue that is that is germane to one district, whether it be a House district or a Senate district, still is germane to other districts throughout the state. The difference is is the amount of magnitude, you know, for each issue. I mean, for example, in my district, we have virtually little to no agriculture in my district, where other districts it can it is almost entirely the economic driving force in that district. So we have where I am, we have more high tech and uh, and medical, whereas in other parts of the county, they're more or other parts of the state, they're more in manufacturing or they're more into you know different different you know aspects of of, of commerce and most have multiple facets of commerce. So we 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 try to be respectful of each other. We also have to be responsible to the fact that we have a district that we represent, and they expect things to get done, you know, to help them as well. And so it's 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 a balancing act. But once again, I believe it comes down to respect. And as long as we're able to respect one another, uh, we're able to move the state in the right direction. Well, that's what I was concerned with, is that it seems just by the numbers, there might be more legislators who are representing agricultural districts than urban districts. And as, a such, uh, as such, the question is, do the agricultural constituencies always outvote the urban constituencies well it, it, it's not as much it's not, not that as bad. much it's not that bad oh, good. The, the greater the greater issue comes in from a from a from a, a majority minority party perspective mm-hmm. a lot of the minority members are in, in the legislature there are 38 minority members meaning of the democrat party and most of them represent the suburban urban areas Whereas a lot of the majority party members represent the suburban rural areas, so that's kind of more where you get the the, the input and influence from a you know the you know urban suburban rural topics, but then you get into the majority minority party discussion as to how do you advance an agenda. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we we've been very good in in, in at least in the, this is now going on my third year there with being respectful and responsive to to all needs throughout the state, whether they be urban, suburban, or rural. Uh, just changing gears a little bit, we have about a minute. Yeah. Uh, revenues, how are revenues looking so far for uh, the state of Ohio coming up here yeah, generally, first quarter? Yeah, gen- generally revenues, you know, have, have on the on the general fund budget aspect, which, by the way, we the governor just unveiled his general fund budget, which we'll start ta- tackling that actually this week, Tuesday at 9 a.m. we start. Those revenues are, are fine. They're, they're not down. They're relatively, they're up slightly uh, as to where we thought they were going to be. So we, we're not seeing any, any decline there. Good. Uh, one, one thing I do want to add real quick, I hear the music coming yeah, in, right. is on the gasoline tax revenue. It's based on gallons sold. In the last 16 years, we've seen only a 3% increase in gallons sold in Ohio in 16 years, but nearly a doubling of the cost to maintain the roads and bridges. And that's why the governor and the legislature are responding the way, the way that we are towards, uh, towards this issue. Oh, very good. Representative Dave Greenspan, thank you for joining us tonight. We'll talk to you in the month of April. 
Great. Thank you. Have, have a great month. Thank you so very much. You too. We're going to be back after these words talking to Dr. Matthew Walsh from the Cleveland Clinic. We're going to talk about pancreatic cancer, the latest in research, and uh, what, what is going on with that form of cancer. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Dr. Walsh after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. WHK Cleveland. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle. You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 shades of green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to christianexpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking about something in the news recently. We heard about Alex Trebek from the TV game show Jeopardy uh, announcing that he is a victim of pancreatic cancer. Uh, pancreatic cancer is something I've been watching for a number of years since my brother uh, succumbed to that disease. And uh, with us tonight to talk about pancreatic cancer from the medical standpoint is an expert in the field and someone who's been involved for over 20 years with pancreatic cancer surgeries and research from the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Matthew Walsh. Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Nick, to be with you. Well, the pleasure is ours, uh, as always. Uh, I believe we've talked over the years about uh, pancreatic cancer, and now it's 2019. And uh, first off, for those who've heard the term pancreatic cancer but aren't quite sure what, what it is, maybe could we have a, a two-minute tutorial? Sure. So um, pancreatic cancer starts in the pancreas, um, which is an interesting organ that lies along everyone's back. It's a a thin organ, um, sort of like a pancake that's also narrow. 
and it goes from one side of your back to the other. And it's a very important organ. You can live without it, but uh, it's not very pleasant. It does two major functions. One is uh, makes certain types of um, gut hormones, one of those being insulin. And it also makes um, the enzymes that help us digest some of our food, particularly fats. And so it's a, it's a combination organ, actually. And the two cancers that uh, can arise in the pancreas each derive from each of those types of parts of the pancreas. So the insulin-making cells, they can, that type of cell is called a neuroendocrine cell, and that can make a type of tumor known as a neuroendocrine tumor. Now that's often quite favorable, and but it's less common. Um, but people will know a very famous person that had that type of cancer. Actually, that was Steve Jobs. So he had pancreatic cancer, but he had that that less common form called the neuroendocrine tumor. And that can be treated very aggressively with surgery. And actually, Steve Jobs got a liver transplant when it had already spread to his liver. The other type of cancer is much more common, and it's the typical what we would consider pancreatic cancer. And that actually starts in the cells that make the juice that help digest our food. Um, And that's the more typical type, and that can occur anywhere in the pancreas. Um, And that is a more difficult cancer to diagnose and treat. What do they call those cells? Acinar cells. And uh, so that's that's the one to fear, I suppose. Yes, of all of yes. them. If, and that is um, just based on what Mr. Trebek said. I would assume that's the one that he has. And you know, it's great, as you mentioned. He he did announce that, and I think it's wonderful that he was willing to share that um, because it does, as you mentioned, where raise awareness, and we certainly need that. With pancreatic cancer, uh, we we hear that it is it has such a, a, a fatal uh, effect. It, it's very lethal. Why is pancreatic cancer so lethal compared to other cancers? That uh, of all the thousands of types of cancers, pancreatic cancer is is so difficult. Right. So, uh, panc- you know, overall cancer death in this country has gone down over the last several uh, decades by about 25%. So we've, we've had an impact on a lot of cancers, um, especially colon cancer, breast cancer, lymphomas, things like that. And one of the ways that that has been achieved is because there are good screening tools like a colonoscopy or testing for even cancer cells in your stool, certainly breast cancer with mammography. Uh, Pancreatic cancer is difficult primarily because we don't have an easy screening test or blood test. And it's equally um, has very nonspecific symptoms based on where it is. Uh, Sometimes you can get lucky in the sense that the bile duct traverses the pancreas as it goes into the intestine and if a cancer is close enough to that, it, even at a small size, it can uh, block the bile duct and cause jaundice. But it's also difficult to treat because it does spread relatively early, and we've had trouble coming up with um, chemotherapy or treatment strategies once it has spread. When you say spread, is that outside of the pancreas or within? That's, yeah, so... There are different levels of spread. We usually consider the first sort of um, wall against the wall to contain the tumor is usually with lymph nodes. So it usually goes from the pancreatic organ to lymph nodes, and then it can spread beyond that to other organs like the liver, the inside lining of the abdominal cavity called the peritoneum, or the lung. Those would be the more common. metastatic or spread sites. Now, with uh, the pancreatic cancer, what are the first symptoms? You mentioned jaundice, if you have some pressure up on the bile duct. 
Right. Anything else? Jaundice is a fairly specific one that refers to it. The other ones are, are fairly nonspecific, like weight loss, fatigue. Um, sometimes you can get itching with the um, with the jaundice. Diabetes is an interesting one, so to speak, in that uh, new onset. So if you're newly diagnosed with diabetes, with no for no explanation over the age of 50, you should be talking to your doctor about getting screened in terms of is there something wrong with my pancreas that could be causing it, like pancreatic cancer. When we, we talk about diabetes and, uh, say, later development, type 2 diabetes, if uh, people are developing that just due to, say, weight or insulin resistance, that kind of thing, how is that different than a pancreatic type uh, association right. for diabetes? Yep. So this would more impact the production of insulin, and the reason that would occur is because the the cancer, even though it's not an insulin type cancer, it blocks the duct that drains these juices from the pancreas, and that causes actually the gland to shrink or atrophy, and therefore that's what leads to not producing enough insulin. Does that uh, result in some type of a screening technique uh, for people who may be showing up with uh, a need for more insulin, and that can cause some type of screening test to see if they have pancreatic cancer? Yep. The best testing for that is x-ray testing with like a CT scan or an MRI because that would show changes compared to normal. The, as people age, is there an age where this uh, occurs more likely than not? Yes, it, it definitely is a, a disease of older individuals, typically in their 70s. And with that case, uh, what would... Uh, inhibit uh, just a standard screening for a 70-year-old? Yeah, it's all about uh, cost, partly because um, imaging is, because the only thing we have really is imaging, um, like a CT scan. And then if the CT scan is normal, let's say, and you have a family risk, uh, the question then is, well, gosh, how often do you do you look and repeat the scan? You can't, it's really, it's cost prohibitive to do it at a frequent interval. Um, and there, there are studies that have tried to look at in patients that have higher risk um, doing more routine testing, and it, it hasn't really been shown to pick up cancers at an early stage for most people. You... Um the idea of uh, CT scans, I'm assuming that health insurance, uh, unless there's some other reasons, not going to pay for that, but uh, CT That's scans... That's part of the problem. But CT scans yeah. can be paid for uh, out of the retired's uh, retirement funds, or they have 401ks or something, I mean, for a life-saving sure. diagnosis. Sure. The question is, you know, what's the what's the likelihood you're, likelihood you're going to pick something up? and when to start doing that, and then also how frequently to do it. That's, those are the things that we don't know well. well we're, we're talking to Dr. Matthew Walsh. He's a general surgeon and a specialist in pancreatic cancer surgery and has been studying pancreatis, pancreatic uh, cancer for over 20 years. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back again with uh, Dr. Walsh to talk more about pancreatic cancer. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. 
Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle. You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 shades of green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price. Our military service members volunteer to protect us in the most dangerous places around the world. They step up. And when they are severely ill or injured, returning to their families is only the beginning of their long road home. Wounded Warrior Project provides these brave men and women whatever they need to continue their fight for independence at no cost for life. So now it's time for a grateful nation to step up. Join us at findwwp.org. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Uh, tonight, we're pleased to have with us Dr. Matthew Walsh, who is a surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland who focuses on pancreatic cancer. And we're talking about uh, the details of pancreatic cancer and um, basically how you might find out whether you have it or not. Uh, Dr. Walsh, thank you for joining us. It's a great pleasure, Nick. Thanks again. Again, always a pleasure having you here. Uh, you mentioned something, uh, we're talking about uh, some of the risk factors with regard to uh, pancreatic cancer during the last segment, and one of the things you mentioned was family risk. Uh, what What is the family risk? How How is it in families? Right. Does this happen? It, it does happen. It, it's uncommon, relatively speaking. Maybe about 10% of people with pancreatic cancer have an increased risk. You know, the general population risk is about 1% of your lifetime. but And so it, it can be increased in certain families. There is, you know, a, actually a very famous family. The, Jimmy Carter's family has a strong family history. He's the only one not afflicted in his uh, siblings. But so there is an increased risk, and you would think, and we've thought for a long time that that would indicate that there's a specific gene that is inherited, but we haven't found that, unfortunately. There are probably some genes that are associated, and there are genetic panels now that people can get, um, and there are certain syndromes like FAP, uh, Lynch syndrome, Peutz-Jaeger, that are associated, have an increased risk of pancreatic cancer. But we haven't actually found the direct cause genetically for the development of even in the familial forms of pancreatic cancer. Um, we don't have a smoking gun, so to speak. We typically recommend, and if people come to me with a first-degree relative or several first-degree relatives with pancreatic cancer, we have them see our genetic counselor and talk through doing genetic testing. And depending on what that might show, just like we talked about before, we might 
start a surveillance program with imaging. I would think that uh, if someone would have genetic testing and found to be positive for the genetic markers that would indicate a higher probability of pancreatic cancer, uh, does that ruin someone's life uh, by living in terror uh, for the rest of their life without getting pancreatic cancer? I don't. Yeah, that's a good question, of course, and I don't think it does. I do think most of those people will have, um, fortunately, normal imaging or have something to follow. Um, it, it's again, unfortunately, it's not common that we uh, are able on just on surveillance to pick up um, pancreatic cancers. We pick up more things much more commonly like pancreatic cysts, which aren't necessarily at all related to pancreatic cancer. Um, but I think talking with the genetic counselor is, is really a great thing and they can help you understand and, and all family members understand what the risks are. And unfortunately, we just don't have a great screening tool. With uh, cancer, if they do a screening program and they do a monitoring program, uh, how rapidly does the pancreatic cancer cells grow, or are there different versions of that kind of cancer cell, some faster right. than others? Another great question. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a great answer. We don't think they develop over years, but we think over months, certainly, they they do develop. They don't grow overnight, certainly, but it's probably not years and years, not for typical pancreatic cancer. The neuroendocrines probably grow very slowly. Hmm. Uh, any links at all or suspicions toward uh, any dietary habits or environmental contacts or anything like that? Right. So uh, we always recommend uh, a balanced, healthy diet because obesity, unfortunately, is associated with cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, as well as outcomes. Heavier people tend to do worse in terms of outcome and survival with pancreatic cancer. The one risk factor that um, is pretty well associated with pancreatic cancer is uh, tobacco smoking. And so we certainly recommend stopping smoking. And in terms of uh, chemical exposures, there's some suggestions of pesticides and benzenes and petrochemicals that might be associated with um, pancreatic cancer as well. The, once someone has been diagnosed, and I suppose there's a, there's a matter of luck or good fortune as to when you get diagnosed and also where the cancer develops, yeah. uh, I suppose if you're fortunate enough to have the pancreatic cancer develop near what they call, I guess, the head of the pancreas and causes the appearance of uh, jaundice, you get screened. Uh, what kinds of treatment, uh, and uh, there's a surgical treatment, they used to call it the Whipple procedure, is that still the choice? We still, yes, we still call it that. So um, when, you, when the diagnosis is made, then we consider several things. And partly it's based on if it's surgically treatable. We always want to get people into a surgical treatment if possible, because that's the best chance of cure or at least long-term survival. That's one of the things that we have done, I would say, better over the last three decades is both increase the, um, the reliability of being able to do the surgery. So we do far less exploratory operations that are useless. So we're pretty good at predicting who's going to have a successful surgery. And also the performance of the surgery is, is better in terms of uh, having fewer complications, chance of dying from the surgery, and having earlier recovery. Okay. Ultimate, ultimately, whether surgery is possible or not is really dependent on if it involves the major blood vessels that unfortunately the pancreas lies on. The pancreas lies on the blood vessels that go to the liver, to all the intestine, um, partly to the to the stomach as well as the spleen. So those are major blood vessels, and the entire goal of surgery is to get a hundred percent of the tumor out. It unfortunately doesn't help to take ninety nine percent of the tumor out. So that's our goal. 
What's also changed over the last several years is our use of combination chemotherapy. That means more than one chemotherapy drug, and we will do that um, sometimes before surgery if we think it's involving the blood vessels and we can't remove it. And sometimes that can get patients also in combination with radiation therapy on occasion to the spot that we are able to remove it and completely get the tumor out. That's what we need to do. Unfortunately, you know, Nick, about 50% of people at the time the diagnosis is made, it's already spread like Mr. Trebek, unfortunately. And that's where we're, we're trying to make as many uh, improvements as possible. Are there any lights? We have about a minute and a half to go. Do we have any lights at the end of a tunnel indicating that uh, there is a pathway to unlocking the key to how pancreatic cancer develops and, and how to, to snuff it out? Right now, I don't think we're on the verge of a major breakthrough. I wish I could tell you that. We, we do need more research, as you mentioned at the beginning of the program. I know in Cleveland, we have a sponsored <clears throat> Purple Stride Walk on June 8th. And PANCAN, which is a, a national organization that really helps uh, both patients and really advocating for research. Um, you can go on their website and look for any local chapters throughout the country. But in Cleveland, it will be at the, at the zoo on um, June 8th, and it's a walk and a run. Well, like right now, we're trying to do, you know, combination chemotherapy. So we're still looking at surgery. Now, about what percentage of those who are diagnosed are qualified for surgery, roughly? About 15%. So 15% are qualified for it. The, the yep. others, the rest, the other yep. 85% will not qualify. Right, unfortunately. Well, those are very gruesome statistics, and we'll keep checking in with you over the years. Uh, that would be great. God, God here, we'll do it. Yes. But, uh, well... Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Matthew Walsh. We'll, uh, we'll get back uh, with you or your department uh, as we approach June 8th because um, the only way to do this, to, to get some answers, is to continue to research the area, and the only way you're going to research is to put money into it. So You're 100% correct. Well, we and the funding for pancreatic cancer, unfortunately, lags behind some of the other cancers, unfortunately. Well, let's see if we can smash that someday. So, Dr. Walsh, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Great to talk to you. Great talking to you. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.